0: Stu, here we are again in the crystal gondola, high above Lake Okanagan.
1: Good day, Des. What a gorgeous day it is! Uh, sunny, thirteen degrees with a blue sky. Barometric pressure is, you know what? I, I don't even know what I don't even know what it is. But I, uh, at the same time, I don't know what barometric pressure is. Come on, I, you, that's you, why you probably we do. That's why we got blue sky, man. Oh, is it? Yes. All right. Well, nonetheless, it's a gorgeous day, man. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. What is shaking?
0: Well, we've got uh, we've got some active. Uh, News here, it seems, uh, the, it seems like there's a goblin behind every corner in, in the world of uh, political news and the markets.
1: It is good news, though, Des. The, um, the, the, the lovely and, and unimpeachable Katie Telford has uh, agreed to testify, or maybe I should say the PMO's office has agreed to let her testify. Right, and that's a today thing. That is today. it's um, fresh off the, uh, the press. I, I know you're gonna you're gonna crucify me for saying it but I got it off CTV news so um, right and what did they say? Well let's see. Um, Trudeau's top uh, the, the headline as Trudeau's top aide Telford to testify amid Hill drama over foreign interference. So after weeks of resistance and ahead of a vote that could have compelled it to happen, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's office announced Tuesday that his chief of, chief of staff, Katie Telford, will testify about foreign elections interference before a committee that has been studying the issue for months. Now, I think importantly it goes on to say that, um, you know, what exactly she shares will be, um, you know, relatively selective given her, you know, her her uh, her position. Yeah. So,
0: well, these liberals are professionals at uh, you know media training and skirting away from answering questions. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, how productive that is. But uh, good to know that we're we're going to get uh, get them in front anyway. Front well, center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was
1: it was nice of um, it, it was nice of our buddy Jagmeet saying to put on the pressure though. The, the, right? Should, should we send him a, a basket? <laughs> Egg meat. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in other news, Des, um, it looks like our hockey club is uh, is ramping up at the right time, buddy. They won 5-4 last night. and yes, they did uh, come from time. behind. Um, if they had lost to the Sharks, it, it would have been um, troubling because it, it would have meant they lost to the Sharks, the Ducks, and uh, Columbus, the, right. the the bottom teams in the league. But, but they didn't, so <laughs> we should feel good about that. Yeah. And, it, and we've got
0: uh, a nice lineup coming in front of us here. We've got some hard teams. We've got some weaker teams. But uh, I like the positioning of these guys. L- listeners should know by now we're talking about the Oilers.
1: Yeah, look, if it's your first time uh, uh, plugging into us, the, we are uh, long-suffering but very loyal uh, Oiler fans.
0: Anyway, uh, Stu, we've got a hell of a guest today. Do we? Yes, we do. Who,
1: who's on the program? Who, who, who'd you reel in?
0: Well, what we've got here is Dan McTeague. He is uh I have I've got to know him obviously through his uh involvement with the uh the Liberal Party he was across the, you know, Kretschien and and Martin era. Uh he's got lots to say uh today about uh who's who's taken up the seats in office here today and we it will be uh absolutely uh it, it'll be a spark plug uh, event here today I think with uh, with Dan on. Um I, I think we should just jump right in I'd, I'd like to introduce them we've we've uh we've got them online yeah man let's go
1: it, it's I mean' time. um our, our listeners don't have to uh you know, pay pay attention to us prattling on very much longer. Right. On a, when w- when we have a guest like Dan on, so let's uh, let's rock and roll. You bet.
0: Well, Dan McTeague, an eighteen year veteran of the House of Commons, Dan is widely known in both official languages for his tireless work on energy pricing and saving ca- Canadians money through accurate price forecasts. His parliamentary initiatives aimed at helping Canadians cope with affordable energy costs led to providing Canadians heating fuel rebates on at least two occasions. Widely sought for his extensive work and knowledge in energy pricing, Dan continues to provide valuable insights in North American media and policymakers. He brings 3 decades of experience and proven efforts on behalf of consumers in both the private and public public spheres. Dan is committed to improving energy affordability for Canadians and promoting the benefits we all share in having a strong and robust energy sector. Dan, you're there?
2: I am. Beautiful. Thank you for that, Des no. and, Des and uh, Stu.
0: Welcome, Dan. Yeah, we're, we're excited to have you on. Uh, obviously, uh, I've... Uh... I've engaged a little bit with you over, uh, you know, Twitter and what have you. I mean, you're uh, you're you're on there quite a bit, uh, fly swatting the, uh, the the numpties sometimes. <laughs> it's uh, it's in, it's actually quite amusing, and and we get to learn something along the way. But uh, you know, um, tell us what you're doing. Uh, you're you're the president of the of Canadians for Affordable Energy. Give give us a little uh, idea of what what people can expect out of your program. Des, we've been working pretty
2: hard over the past few years on the idea that uh, Canadians in large part uh, took for granted, uh, probably because of good economic times, unprecedented in fact since 2008, but they've been able to take uh, really uh, very little stock and inventory of how important uh, Canada's oil and gas sector is in particular, energy of course generally, uh, to, the, uh, to the viability of our economy and to our standard of living, uh, to our prosperity. Uh, you know, it's not lost, of course, on an Ontarian who's never spent any time out West, uh, who railed against oil companies uh, for trying to suppress independent gas retailers, so I'm no friend of theirs, and who invented predict- predicting gas prices as a means of holding them to account. Uh, it's not lost on folks like me that, uh, you know, uh, one of the things we can't do is go down this road of believing we can wish this industry away without substantial uh, disruption, chaos uh, that would ensue economically, uh, fiscally. uh, And of course, uh, from a social point of view, um, you know, the very thing that keeps the country balanced economically, but also practically, there is nothing that we can we have that we touch that we consume that we use that doesn't have a hydrocarbon in it or isn't produced by something like that whether it's your electric vehicles or your renewable energy uh, or whether it is uh, the very things that we take for granted our means of communication none of these things would be possible without the uh, the gift of uh, the kind of resources that canada has plenty of mm-hmm. being the third largest provable reserves in the world it just struck me the narrative in this country has been for the past 10 years almost exclusively about uh, climate change and exclusively uh, about uh, finding ways to shut down this industry as if it is the only one in the world creating the problem Uh, that they perceive as being one that is, uh, you know, uh, impactful on the environment. And so all the good that it has done, that it is providing, including the support of our population and perhaps a generation that has lived longer than any other generation previous, these things are not by coincidence. And so, you know, the idea of Canadians for Affordable Energy, there's a predecessor that worked with me, John Williamson. He's now a member of parliament, a conservative member of parliament. He quite rightly pointed out, I was a liberal member of parliament. And we understood the importance of the hydrocarbon, the fossil fuel industry in this country, but not just that, the benefits, the enormous benefits um, it provides in terms of giving Canadians the very standard of living that uh, apparently for past little while has been uh, severely underestimated and uh, to a large extent, uh, a little bit of the rotting danger field type of uh, approach. Uh, they get no respect. And uh, it's high time someone actually take the time to push back I don't want to say I'm a good goalie in hockey. I did play a lot of it when I was younger, um, but no free shots anymore from the greens and from the left on uh, energy sector that is important to the fundamentals of uh, making our country tick. And that's really what Canadians for Affordable Energy is about. We know that Canada's energy sector is under attack and, and it is being done uh, in coordination with groups from outside and inside, charities using misusing the organization. We can talk a bit about that. But it's time that someone stand up, and I, of course, have you know not just being a liberal member of Parliament for eighteen years, but also one who worked on the consular and consumer files for many years, and understand that this is a generational change within the party, and an approach that uh, I think is uh, far too simplistic and is leading the country down a very narrow path of a very bleak future.
0: Hmm. Uh, good, you pointed all this out. It's it's very important. I think uh, you know some of the some of the details that that seem to escape many. Uh, many Canadians is is the contribution to the treasuries of uh, not only the federal government the pr- but provincial and municipalities and of course the the entire hydrocarbon complex. Uh, you know it's taxed uh, very heavily at at the pump, uh, very ta- taxed very heavily uh, at the utilities and and so forth. And and I was uh, I think I was reading uh, that Canada is uh, the the, the at least the the three levels of uh, of government we're we're going to have uh, over sixty five billion in revenues uh, in between now and two thousand thirty I believe it was. Um, no other industry provides uh, any kind of uh, mass to the treasuries uh, of, of governments as much as the industry uh, energy industry is that is that correct?
2: That would be correct. It's about twenty billion a year net to right. the federal government. So. Uh, If you look between now and 2030, another six, seven years, might be a lot more than that. But I mean, it's how, of course, its implications are not just direct um, royalties to provincial and federal governments, but also its secondary effects in terms of jobs, uh, in terms of revenue generation and attracting capital, something this country desperately needs when you consider the weakness of the Canadian dollar and what imposition that has on our purchase power we price everything in this country on U.S. dollars. And so when you see a weak Canadian dollars you're seeing today, is it any wonder Canadians are feeling the pinch? Mm-hmm. Their dollar doesn't purchase what it used to purchase them because we no longer have the petrodollar. There's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll not find a lot of business commentaries and economists talking about this. They're mostly paid to ignore it. And I, let me repeat that. They're paid to ignore that or sidestep it. Thankfully, I predict gas prices. I have to do it every day when it comes to predicting gas prices. I'm not going to let them off the hook.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you know, um, Stu, what do you feel as a you know? I mean, I'm I'm in the energy sector. I'm I'm uh, that's my profession. You as a you know consumer of of energy and living in the the world we are here in in Canada and so forth. What what what, what what's your experience? How do you feel some of this uh, policy that that Dan says is is reshaping the Canadian energy sector?
1: Yeah, well. Look, I mean, as a as a born and raised Albertan, Des, you and I probably feel a little bit closer to the subject than a lot of folks. Um, but you're asking me as a as a as a consumer, and and how I feel. I mean, I'm I'm not surprisingly completely aligned uh, with, with Dan and and his efforts. Um, I feel as Canadians, you know, we overpay for energy, and we we whether that energy is you know to. You know, keep the lights on, or heat our homes, or or fuel our vehicles. You know, we're the fourth largest producer of, of oil on the on the planet, right? I think we're the you know fifth or sixth largest producer of, of natural ga- gas. You know, it doesn't feel that way to me, and I don't. I dare say it probably doesn't feel that way to most Canadians. You know, considering what we pay for energy, um, uh, Dan. You, uh, first of all. I, Fantastic, having you on on the pragmatics. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. You, you talk a lot about and write a lot about, um, you know, the 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 just transition or or the unjust transition. I think as you've referred to it. Mm. You talk about carbon tax and and clean fuel and and EVs, all topics that Des and I would love to 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 chat about, but when I when I read some of your your blogs and and your posts, particularly as it relates to you know the just transition and you know the the sort of predictive cost on the economy, it, it's it's absolutely staggering to me, and and it's actually. Pretty dark. It puts me in a you know in an in an uncomfortable place as I think about you know Canadians' future. Um, Dan, maybe for our listeners, you can tell us a little bit about you know what what exactly the just transition means and and you know your thoughts on the implications to Canadians.
2: Well, it's a very complicated uh, topic. Uh, it's so complicated that the government itself has changed the uh, point of just transition to sustainable. Uh, jobs, sustainable future, which of course I believe to be unsustainable. But this word comes directly from uh, the agreement Canada signed in 2015. The Trudeau liberals come to power in October 2015. The first thing they do is jump on a jet, all four or 500 of them, and uh, sign a climate agreement that basically says we're going to move to a just transition, basically saying, Look, this isn't about, you know, uh, transiting or helping people make the adjustment from the energy sector, the oil and gas sector, and all their derivative uh, fields, pipeline building, et cetera. This is about suggesting that those in that industry shouldn't be in that industry, and we're gonna do whatever we can as a government to kill those jobs. It's a pretty astounding and significant uh, take. And it really means you have to have an absolute certainty that what Canada is doing in providing energy for itself and for the rest of the world, notwithstanding the coal climate, notwithstanding the affordability, notwithstanding all of the, uh, the plaudits that uh, hydrocarbons have given us, including nitrogen, Ammonia, things that uh, have improved our fertilizers, that have improved our ability to grow food and to maintain and to improve the health and well-being of populations, such as Canada but around the world. You have to be pretty convinced that what you signed in 2015 to be cool and trendy, which is what they did, uh, has to stick. And it isn't just about you know making money uh, or putting aside trillions of dollars, and I say trillions with a T, to make this move to net zero. Also involves some form of just transition. It was sold originally as, "Hey, these people may lose their job. Let's see if we can help them." You know, go from uh, you know, uh, hunt, you know, very well-paying jobs in the oil and gas sector to uh, being janitors or doing coding. Whatever the intent of the government was, it was based on flawed assumptions about climate and economics, and it was uh, infused with a significant amount of deception by a government. And I'm saying that of my liberals. Remember, I served this party, mini-me. A, a really devious point that you want to actually kill the proverbial golden goose and pretend somehow you can come out of this with something better than what you started. Now, that was great in 2015, but we now have, we're in 2023, to use a Trudeau expression, because it's 2023, we see where Europe is. Europe went down this road I'll try to go down this road and look what happened. Germany uses coal doesn't have natural gas there's a war now being waged in russia paid for to a large extent by fossil fuels extracted by the number eight uh, largest uh, uh, provable reserve reservist in the world russia we now have a circumstance in which the entire trade of the world the relationship has completely turned on its head china and the united states are not the trading zone anymore it's more like china and russia India and Russia, uh, the Saudi Arabia of OPEC and Asia. So increasingly, by pursuing this this ninny-brained policy of, of, uh, of just transition net zero, you've effectively destroyed years of wealth creation and a very productive relationship that I think kept the world away from the geopolitical tension that it sees today. So by ignoring... Our energy fundamentals, our energy reality, our clean bill of, uh, of offerings, what we've effectively done is made of this world a far more poorer place, but a far more precarious place. And uh, I say that with some background. <clears throat> As you will know, uh, I served many years uh, in foreign affairs under Paul Martin. I was introduced to uh, became a privy councillor when that happened, <coughs> excuse me, and so my, my concern has always been not just on the implications for Canadians, but the larger picture. So if Canada doesn't step up to the plate and get its energy to the rest of the world, in other words, continues down this road of the Justin Trudeau government, of blocking pipelines, of encouraging fanatics to come in and to vandalize eco zealots to destroy our infrastructure and allow lawfare, our, uh, you know, our decent legal system, to hogtie Canadian energy, well, then other countries are going to step up to the plate and fill the void. Not just suspicious countries and countries with uh, you know with uh, check, you know with uh, uh, spotty records. The Venezuela's, the Iran's, uh, the Saudi Arabia's to a lesser extent, but even our neighbors, the South the United States, no trouble building pipelines for the past seven years. When Canada was you know, destroying its ability to build pipelines, the Americans set about not just building oil pipelines but also natural gas pipelines for LNG. There's 200 billion dollars of economic activity that Canadians gentlemen, can I speak very frankly? Mm-hmm, please do. Canadians pissed up the rope mm-hmm. by simply allowing, saying no to LNG. We lost 15 projects worth billions of dollars. We could have come to the rescue of the rest of the world, stop China from building more coal plants in India as well. So do I sound animated? I do, because of the absolute ignorance and arrogance of people out there who believe that, you know, tenaciously holding to the idea of Green climate change means Canadians, being the only international Boy Scouts, has done nothing but hurt Canadians and hurt our ability to punch above our weight, get our energy that the world desperately needs. And don't take my word for it. When the prime ministers of Japan, the uh, chancellors of Germany come to your country and say, please give us some energy, and we turn around and say there's no business case for it. I mean, you look pretty maudlin. You look like a bunch of poltroons who can't get your act together. And I I must say it's uh, it's deeply disappointing as a liberal to see my party having done this kind of uh, routine with a person I know is not capable of being leader, but has in fact turned the country in a very, very perverse way that is uh, likely to lead. As I said at the outset, a very, very dark future lies ahead for this country as long as we have people like him and his friends in the NDP and the Greens running the country.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, we love the animation. Don't apologize for that. I think this is the right place for it, Dan, and and I appreciate that, um, that colorful and, and thorough answer to the question because, you know, ultimately, you know, the, the question is really about, for me at least, Dan, you know, where, where could Canada be or where should Canada be right now considering what's happened in the last four or five years? How much more prosperous would the average Canadian be had we, you know, played responsibly, but but did what's right for the energy sector? We wouldn't have inflation. We wouldn't have the threat of interest rates. Let me be
2: really clear about this point, because I think a lot of people may not be aware of this, and the Bank of Canada is playing its you know climate game to try to suppress it. But they do, from time to time, have to admit that there is a problem with the relationship of the Canadian dollar to higher interest rates. So you have higher interest rates because of, of inflation. Inflation is... Primarily driven by energy inflation. Yes, we have the post-COVID period that does play into it to some extent. But for a country like Canada, 137 pennies to buy U.S. dollar adds about 30% to the cost of everything. You then have the same climate policies that prevented this. In other words, by shutting down pipelines, no one wants to invest in Canada. The reason the Canadian dollar is weak is because no one sees anything vital or interesting that they want to exchange their foreign dollars into Canadian currency. As a result, Canadians are suffering from a weak loony. And it's not because of a hyper, you know, protection of the U.S. dollar. We've had that before, but the Canadian dollar should be trading right now at par with the U.S. greenback. The fact that it isn't, is almost directly linked to our climate policies, which on the one hand, diminish the value of the Canadian dollar, force us to work that much harder to earn the same things. And because every single commodity that we consume in this country is priced in U.S. dollars, it means we're taking a 37% hit in the chops every single time. As I said earlier, there is, it's extremely important for people to understand their relationship. And that, to me, is a significant component in, in, uh, in inflation. Were that not enough? A carbon tax. That is going to be, what day are we today? The 21st. So in nine or ten days, you in my province here in Ontario will be treated to a four cent a liter increase in diesel, gasoline, propane, natural gas, uh, aviation fuel, diesel fuel, jet fuel. Take your pick. It all gets an increase. That increase will work out in my province to about 16 cent, 16.5 cents sixteen point five cents a litre, 16 in your province. At $1.20 a litre for gasoline in Alberta, at dollar forty one 41 here in Ontario, that 16 cents represents about a 10 or 11% inflationary hit. And if you have it on gasoline and diesel, it makes its way throughout the economy. If you had it on natural gas, it hurts farmers. And so for that reason, You see inflation, not just with a weak Canadian dollar caused by green policies of shutting down pipelines and making us less attractive, where no one wants to buy our products. You now have a circumstance where the federal government is contributing mightily to that inflation. And people like the Bank of Canada and other woke economists don't want to talk about it. It's the elephant in the room, but they don't want to talk about it. But you and I pay for it. And if it weren't enough that these prices are going through the roof, the Bank of Canada sits back and says, that's inflation. It doesn't meet our target of 2%. So we're going to raise interest rates on Canadians. How do those marbles really help Canadians? They don't, Uh, but it's time they wake up because, uh, uh, you know, it's easy for me to talk about energy inflation, but where people start to really smarten up is when you say it starts hitting food prices, which it has. And it's been very impactful and it's likely to stay there. And there's a number of reasons for that, but the one everyone avoids is the one that's primarily responsible for this. And that's allowing energy affordability uh, to be subject to a significant attack by a woke federal government who's more interested in uh, trying to t- change temperatures than it is to actually try to fight uh, the idea of uh, helping Canadians while at the same time getting our clean energy on an ESG manda- on an ESG scale our oil and gas ranks above anybody in the world the environmental social governance uh, uh, scale mandate whatever. Uh, we have the highest rank per barrel in the world, so it is enough for us as Canadians to sit back and say, "Well, we're not doing enough, and we have to hurt ourselves." We've already done it, but we have too many woke people in this country who are either oblivious to this, and the smart people know they're rooking the Canadian public, and they're probably doing it because they're lining their pockets. Bingo.
0: Well, you know, you know, I got into a little bit of a little bit of trouble there the other nights to, uh, You know, I'm talking you know, about. Uh, the fact that and one of the reasons why uh, one of several reasons we, we're doing the prog- pragmatics uh, as a podcast here uh, Dan is that uh, we feel there's a tremendous illiteracy on some very very important subjects subjects that are that are affecting us every day just like you described with I, I think carbon tax is on its third increase is this the third third increase I believe and uh, yep. when we when I talk to, other people about the policies that got us here, with inflation or or turning away uh, foreign investment, foreign direct investment, and in, in certainly in the energy sector and so forth. But uh, I was at a gathering the other night, and I was talking about the situation we're here uh, that we're in here in Canada and Trudeau's policies and how we found ourselves where we are now with with inflation and a current debt well over 1.1 trillion now with only a 38 million population. I was asked, how, how, how are any of these policies affecting me? Uh, uh, he, he asked me, and I, and he says, they're not affecting me, I, I, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. I mean, during Trudeau's reign in office, uh, foreign direct investment into the Canadian energy, energy sector has been anemic, and and further, the Canadians investing in Canada is down. Uh, according to Natural Resources Canada, like you touched on earlier, 18 LNG export facility projects have been proposed in Canada since 2011. One export facility in BC is under construction, and another smaller Indigenous-led facility just got approved uh, nicely. For comparison... Cedar, right? Yes, the Cedar, uh, <coughs> uh, the Heisla group there. Uh, for comparison, between 2014 and 20, you know, t- six short years, the U.S. built seven LNG export facilities and p- approved 20 more. Five of those now are under construction. An estimated $150 billion in development here in Canada of these facilities ultimately didn't pass financial investment decision, And they're all because of the conditions that, that have been set by the Trudeau government, which are not favorable. And, and I take you to um, uh, Warren Buffett, a response. Uh, he was asked by uh, by a journalist uh uh, when he pulled his four billion dollar investment in Energy Saguenay, uh, the LNG project in, in 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 Quebec, his answer was Canada's environmental regula- regulatory system is a maze with no cheese. <laughs> isn't that beautiful? Yep. It, but isn't it, it, isn't it very telling about the conditions that have been set by this Trudeau uh, clan and uh, and and where are. Uh, foreign investment that was very, very uh, robust and friendly and and very inviting through even the, the liberals of, of of your days, of Chrétien and Martin. I mean, it didn't escape them the importance of, of the energy sector. In 1998,
2: I led a committee of liberals called the Liberal Committee on Gasoline Pricing, which reported in June of 1998, and it was all about the downstream, basically the uh, your refinery and, uh, and gas stations uh, matrix across the country. At the time of writing, I can tell you, it was no secret that uh, Paul Martin, Jean Carretien, uh Minister of uh, Natural Resources back in those times, I think it was Ralph Goodale, and others were absolutely apoplectic about the idea that I would suddenly, suddenly go up against the oil industry itself. I would never call for such a thing. It was a stupid idea then. It's even stupider now. Uh, but they were concerned because they said, you know, by building out pipelines, we're actually going to pay down the debt in this country, a debt that had been hanging over the country for 20 years and uh, one that many of us of our age will remember in 1981 at 21%. My old man lost his shirt. Uh, you know, here I was working for the housing minister and we you know, things were not good and the country was seizing up because the level of debt was far too high. Back in 1998, it was pretty clear that the government knew that by getting our number one export out to the world market, we would pay down debt. We would bring down, you know, and along with fiscal responsibility, we would be able to uh, make our social programs sustainable for generations to come. And that's precisely what happened. So my mm. generation of Liberals have been completely sidelined by Justin Trudeau and his woke folk out of, uh, out of, out of Ontario. And I know them very well, Katie Telford begged me to run in 2013. So we need a person like you to run. I had no idea that for the fanaticism that was coming out of their mind, but I should have clued into the fact that her and Gerald Butts, uh, the person she replaced uh, due to the SNC scandal uh, would, uh, would be pursuing a policy of basically, you know, uh, uh, deboning the entire energy sector, the very ability for the country to maintain its fiscal advantage and to become attractive would be destroyed. You know, it wasn't lost as well that, you know, in, in that period of time in 1998, the government knew what, uh, what side of uh, the bread it, it, it needed to have buttered. And so for that reason, uh, it was a time that I think we need to reflect on because the world now, if ever what Vladimir Putin has done in Europe has made it very clear the country, the world wants more Canadian energy and can't really understand why a perfectly good country blessed with an abundance of energy is in, involved in, you know, uh, uh, some form of uh, environmental hairy carry in which it is prepared to kill itself to uh, to make a certain point. But Des, you made a good point in terms of the numbers and what this gives and, you know, whether it's Warren Buffett or the other 15, 16 investors who basically left the country. You know the only thing that's sustained the canadian economy over the past two or three years has been the housing uh the ability to attract capital into canada for people to buy homes it's not working out so well with higher interest rates now with uh, restrictions so you know when you have an economy that's running on a battery rather than having the ability to generate revenue as we have in the past the future is indeed very dark and i i say this is not a message i give to you in alberta or british columbia this is a message I give to Torontonians. I represented Torontonians for 18 years. I think we're, we're hitting the tipping point is that people can't afford to live. And when 50% of people in my community can't make ends meet, you know that the government is failing and they may not be aware of how it is. And this is a generation of young people who are in their 30s, maybe early 40s, all the way down to teenagers to 20s, never experienced difficult economic times. The government is always there to back them. That's ending.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And reality is starting to bite. And I think more and more people are becoming appreciative of the abundance of the heritage that we have in our oil and gas sector. If we don't, well, then uh, there are many years of very gnashing of teeth and <laughs> gnashing and grinding of
1: teeth mm-hmm. lying ahead. You, you know what, Dan? You, you said something really, really important, you know, that, that our economy is running on a, on a battery. Um, and i we'll eventually get to the ev discussion in a little bit but um, <laughs> you know also what you said as it relates to uh, you know sort of the the canadians getting to the point where they've they the, they are fed up it's interesting i said and as you may recall during the pandemic you know one of our discussions where i i said that you know if we learned anything from the pandemic is that canadians are the most compliant you know people in the world as we lined up for you know vaccine and vaccine and booster and booster um I think we were the most vaccinated country in the world um <laughs> on a per capita basis at least. Um conversation for another day. But the question I have it because I you know I I don't see it yet at least not in the younger generation. Um I don't see any sort of activism. Like we seem like just a remarkably complacent society and 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 I I do wonder what that tipping point is. Yeah. You know, when oh. Canadians actually you know <laughs> as a population, wake up.
0: Yeah. I, I think we've been uh, incredibly lulled to sleep uh, over, you know, a time of, uh, you know, not perfection, but near perfection. I think uh, certainly our kids have grown up at a time where, uh, geez, the only thing they can complain about is the Wi-Fi isn't working. I mean, it, it's just, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, I know,
1: to 100%. Yeah.
0: And, and and then we come to uh, the point here where we, we, we actually have an, an act of war uh, happening in in. You know, modern societies, people are, people's homes that that look like the neighborhoods we live in or grew up in or what have you, and they're 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 taking artillery and and people are getting killed in the street, and um and and you know that's something I don't think our kids are in in uh, dan in in their 20s so the, the this is something that they've never experienced uh, even uh, folks that are in their young 40s have not experienced this we live in in times where where some extremes are hitting hard here that we haven't experienced in 30 40 years what what do you what do you think about that dan
2: well i, I there's a generation here who I have not experienced hardship as i mentioned earlier but there's something more interesting with that I suspect that what is, we're now seeing is the final days of the Trudeau regime, the folks that brought this in place. It, it was no other, you know, the, I, I remember. Don't um, tease us.
1: Don't, don't yeah,
2: tease no, us. Dad. the NDP leader. Uh, You're um, teasing um, me? <laughs> <laughs> well. Look, when the Liberals outflanked the NDP and became more left-wing than the NDP uh, and, you know, left uh, the NDP leader thinking that, uh, you know, something had been, someone had fooled around with the numbers. I think what we're seeing right now is a a complete runaway from the Trudeau government. Uh, Every demographic, with the exception of women over 55. Now, that's my demographic, not women, but men. And, uh, you know, there are many who still have this idea of conservatives of the 1960s and 70s or, you know, the Harper era, which many of them, you know, loathe, but they will have to get over this because it has been that demographic that has sustained the Liberals and uh, ensured that they would win. The younger generation of women, younger generation of men, and most men will not vote for the Liberals because they know on a whole host of fronts uh, this government was, in, was 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 bad news to begin with. I need, recognized it very quickly in 2017, 2018. Uh, I kept my mouth shut in twenty fifteen because I thought, well, you know, let let the new generation have its its kick at the can. I was working doing most of my media interviews with Gas Buddy in the United States. Uh, But I couldn't sit on the sidelines. By 2017, 2018, it became pretty obvious. And the poor company I was working with uh, didn't want to get involved in political fights. So we moved on amiably. I came back to pursue my passion. Uh, which is self-funded, by the way. Full disclosure, I have an MP pension, a golden-plated pension. And I worked public relations for Toyota Canada prior to that. So, you know, there's a company that didn't go the EV route uh, continues to believe that the future is, in fact, uh, hydrogen and the future is, in fact, uh, you know, hybrids. But nevertheless, that aside, I I suspect that what we're seeing now is a complete realignment in which the Liberals uh, are going to face, uh, you know, a significant hardship at the polls because people are starting to finally feel the pain. It's okay to talk about climate until you're blue in the face and all these wonderful woke, you know, uh, ideas on c- cancel culture and virtue signaling. And, you know, all of these wonderful ideas that come out there that we learn in universities because we don't like to have people debate, but the proverbial leather is starting to hit the road and people are realizing for the first time, it doesn't look so good out there. And the future does not look as bright. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, we are seeing, we're seeing signs of a country that is fracturing. I don't think it's necessarily at the point where it's going to break, but signs that I certainly haven't seen in the political mainstream since the early 1990s
0: mm-hmm. and, and you know we Stu, and i have talked on on previous podcasts and and off off uh, off microphone as well just on you know w- the mood we we do feel it's changing but uh you know we've been disappointed by canadians uh at the, at the voting booth uh just too many especially times especially here in toronto well yeah mm-hmm. um but you know it's the, where the
2: liberals are it's, it's their it's their backyard but i'm telling you right now things are bad here and okay. they're
0: getting worse and and uh you can't afford to live here Right. I, you have to assume that what is not escaping anybody anymore is is just the taxes. I mean, there's, there's one taxpayer. I mean, if you're a property owner and earn income, you pay taxes to a municipality, a province, and the federal government. You pay several consumption taxes like GST and PST, carbon taxes, and frustrating taxes like property transfer taxes, and other invented taxes like we see out here in B.C., each of these organizations, whether it's federal, provincial, what have you, they all run deficit budgets, rarely operating at a surplus, and every year they need more, and they just keep coming after us, and there's only one taxpayer, but each of those organizations are always out of funds at the end of the year. So, my question to you, Dan, do you think fiscal prudence would will ever be in vogue? Hmm. <laughs> Well, let me let
2: me lay it out to you. Uh, And I think the finance minister uh, will be under very, you know, very significant pressure not to be dishonest and try to fudge the numbers. But if this year alone is going to run us uh, somewhere in the vicinity of about a 43 billion dollar deficit, it's the same scenario I saw playing in the 80s and 90s. And next year will be 50. The year after that will be 60 as interest rates go much higher. Remember, government was borrowing money when (laughs) rates were one and two percent they're now 4 and 5 and maybe even 6%. That is means that there's 43 billion dollars this year that isn't going back into social programs or to help Canadians. Mm-hmm. That's money that you have to pay to your uh, to your lenders and that is going to get a lot worse as long as Canada continues down this road of increasing inflation, having a uh, woke Uh, Bank of Canada, fiscal policy, monetary policies following this climate agenda of, hey, it doesn't matter, we're still going to go after and punish people who are producing, uh, you know, uh, energy uh, and in the process uh, emitting life-saving, I say life-saving carbon. Uh, You know, if we continue down this road, we're going to find ourselves in a situation where we can't afford to be woke. The world is awakening and people have had it good you know, uh mm-hmm. are about to be severely challenged. This is a this is has all the makings of what I recall and said in the seventies and early eighties. And it's not gonna end well for a lot of Canadians who believe the government can simply spend uh, you know, uh, with abandon. Uh this has been a reckless government. They spent dozens of billions of dollars before there was an economic crisis caused by COVID. Remember we were 15, $16 billion in a hole. We haven't under this government been able to balance the books, not that you should have to, but if your ability to generate revenue is far less than the, the rate at which your debt is increasing, well it's only a matter of time before the bondholders come in and downgrade your, uh, your credit worthiness. That's and,
0: inevitable. And which force interest rates up another, another few notches.
2: And, and exactly, not mm-hmm. just for your private borrowing, not just for personal borrowing, but for government borrowing as well. We're repeating the same mistakes we made a few years ago. And it doesn't matter how many cool, trendy, uh, witless professors out there, and I'm I'm referring to the ones at many universities saying, "Oh, modern monetary uh, theory allows us to borrow uh, without ever having to worry about. It. We just print more money." <laughs> yeah. It's Not working anymore. Hey, and it didn't work thirty years ago. It's not going to work today either. So. Uh, no, we're, uh, we're heading for a crisis, a crisis in confidence, and I think we're starting to see it in government. And uh, even, even the most ardent of liberals have to realize that sooner or later we can get fiscal prudence back. I think that's going to be the course we take over the next five years. The country's going to want to reset. And by the way, these carbon taxes, a tax on our oil sector, regulations, cap on emissions, pipeline blocking will all be outlawed. And uh and happily so. And by the way, Bill C sixty nine, Billy's C forty eight will be lined up on the thirty yard line and punted right through the end zone. It's inevitable. Well you know uh, that, just that's just the Wolksters yeah, have to realize it.
0: Yeah, and that, that's something that uh, you know I've I've been uh, you know, obviously I, I understand what C forty eight and C sixty nine is. That again I've been in in uh in the company of uh, people in different professions and what have you, very, you know, people that understand, uh, listen to the news and what have you, and uh, they have no idea what C-48, C-69 uh, <laughs> is. And, you know, I, I, talking to the li- listeners here, you know, these are these are uh, uh, legislation that is intentionally and systematically uh, dismantling our en- energy industry um, and, of course, slow-footing uh, the environmental approvals that ultimately allowed trudeau just to pen stroke off energy east and northern gateway just just one one afternoon not we're not doing it um but des listen listen uh, how's that working you have a government that's killed
2: pipelines and the only pipeline that it had to save because it was going to get its proverbial backside sued and that was the uh, kinder morgan trans mountain expansion mm -hmm. so you buy it for 4.9 billion bucks the private sector would have done it for nothing You would have increased Canada's capacity to sell oil. You would have increased the value of the Canadian dollar. You would have decreased the value of oil by 10 bucks a barrel. There would have been tremendous savings right across the spectrum. And now you can dumb Canadians have a $30 billion debt. Mm -hmm. That's what it's going to cost because you're too damn woke. You know, if I... If I were Prime Minister, I would turn around, give that to David E.B. in the province of, Ontario, uh, province of British Columbia and say, this is on you and your predecessor, Mr. Horgan. Uh, now pay it back. This, You pull this, uh, note. we'll leave no tool, uh, we'll use every tool in the box to block this thing. Look, if you're going to be stupid, there are consequences for stupidity. The people of British Columbia, particularly in Vancouver and Lower Mainland, should be paying that damn bill and no one else.
1: I agree with you. You got that right. Dan you, you said something really interesting earlier you know that you know even the most ardent liberals will um you know will have to see the light not your exact words but curious for for you and, and, and you know asking on behalf of our listeners you know i don't want it to be lost on them that you were a sitting liberal for you know 18, uh, 18 years. years and i'm curious um and i reflect on an interview i saw with hereditary chief Bill Wilson, Jody Wilson, Raybould's father, earlier this week, where you know, he, he actually talked about the, the leader of the Liberal Party being intellectually impaired. I thought that was a really yes. interesting thing. Um, He's right. He is. Uh, for you, when did the bloom come off the rose? And 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 is it a function of the the Liberal leadership, the Liberal Party, or, or both? I was concerned
2: about the phony because I knew the father. I knew the kid didn't have half the talent his father did and was living off his dad's uh, image. You know, it became pretty pathetic. And I I think Michelle Simpson saw it more, but I was one ahead of him beside everybody. Long hair and the socks, the sobbing, the selfies was uh, was a thing that some people really went for, especially women over 55. And that's not to take away from them. My wife would not be included in that group. But you have an individual who is seriously deficient in understanding how the real world works. Uh, there's an individual who's too busy spending and parading around the world and living off daddy's, uh, you know, uh, legacy. And this is the problem. The name for many people meant so much. Many people felt, you know, as I did. I was very passionate about Pierre Trudeau. I liked his position. I was an Irish Catholic, uh, French Canadian. Conservatives did not have a home for me. It's uh, certainly my my uh, my pred- my ancestors. But I did understand something about just uh, Pierre Trudeau that Justin Trudeau never had. And that's this Pierre Trudeau is much of a arrogant person. You could have asked him or thought you know, he him to be and disliked him for that. You put up a strong debate. He'd back off and he'd appreciate and respect it. Justin can't stand a strong debate. And that's why he punishes and tries to exclude those who actually can stand up to him. I was one of those. And I have no trepidation with coming after him each and every time, because I know what kind of a moron he was. Anybody who would sit there, and flip through a newspaper to go see how he was you what know, where he was quoted as a backbench MP and then have the audacity to go to charitable organizations and demand they pay him twenty to twenty five thousand bucks for a speaking gig based on his father's reputation, not his. That to me is odious. And the fact that Canadians, particularly those who continue to support him, couldn't see that. Well that's just a crying shame and it shows to me the depth of ignorance of some people in this country who again are too mesmerized with socks, selfies selfies and uh, and sobbing.
1: I love it. Great answer. I'm I'm going to have to ask only because she's born and raised in 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 Desen Desenai's home province province of Alberta. Any any thoughts on on Christia Freeland?
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know Christia Freeland personally. Um I don't think she has the depth to do the job that she's doing. I think she's very aloof. Um, I mean, we come from all different strands, but my generation of liberal finance ministers were far more in depth. I mean, uh, Christian Freeland could never be a Paul Martin. Christian Freeland could never be a, a, a you know a uh, a Jim Flaherty. Kristia mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. Freeland is Christia Freeland. Uh, were it not for the fact that she has been ordained by the Trudeau cult. Um, to me, uh, she would just be another backbencher and, uh, you know, with uh, some nice shiny things to say here and there. But uh, I don't suspect that she's going to do very well if, if she's willing to succeed Justin Trudeau when inevitably he's either turfed by his party, which is not likely, given the effete nature the weak nature of his caucus, which has been handpicked so that they don't beat him up. Uh, they don't have strong people. In my time, by the way, I was, what, 30 when I was elected. I'm 60 now. Uh, a lot of the guys from my generation are, well, in their 80s, 90s, many of them passed on, but they would never have tolerated such a uh, uh, such a lightweight in such an important position.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, you, you you think about when uh, when Paul Martin was uh, was finance minister. I, I've been a conservative-minded, uh, you know, fiscally conservative-minded person and pretty much a voter all my life. And uh, I would have never dreamed, to be honest with you, Dan, to, 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 vote, uh, to vote liberal even in those days. So it surprised me that, that Paul Martin did what he did to, to get, uh, uh, you know, a turn on deficits and get actually, a, you know, a net debt position of uh, net debt free. Um, it, it, was a, it was a fantastic achievement. Uh, we saw it in Alberta with, with Ralph Klein. I, and t- today I kind of long for a Ralph Klein to come in here and first day in office, everybody that sits in a, in a, in a legislative chair is a five, has a 5% uh, reduction in, in salary. The next day they come into the legislature and it's 5% across the board. Yep. Right. I talked to people about uh, uh, if you were to actually look at the budgets of the federal and provincial governments, it's just line after line of programs, programs after programs that cost us all money. I've never seen a dime, dime from any no. program. I've never seen free money in my life. So I don't know where all this money goes, but there's a pro- like, you know, when when uh, when we had in Alberta... Um, when she was campaigning, Alison Redmond. Alison uh, Redford. Yeah, Redford. There, there. Sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry yeah. for the okay, brain sorry. block. But I, went, I thought
2: you were playing a game there and saying no, Danielle Smith. I, this doesn't no, like her. <laughs> no, this is this is
0: going back. And and when they were campaigning for for that uh, that election, she was um, she sounded like just it was another uh, pro, uh, party of programs. It just sounded like another NDP style campaign, and that's that's when you had uh, the situation there with uh, two conservative parties. And Rachel Notley getting in uh, right through the middle.
2: Well, make no mistake, uh, Stu. Does the power of the public service lobbyists is significant, um, and they have ma- many branches from the Canada Post folks to, you know, Coast Guard. To uh, that's not to t- you know bra- paint them all the same brush. There's a lot of very hardworking public servants out there, but they have an unequal influence in the policies of the parties. So much so that many of them, you know, find it a little odd that they can sit at home, do their job, while at the same time, we're spending tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars on consultants, who mm-hmm. happen to be liberal-friended, by the way. But, you know, the proverbial gravy train is going to come to an end very quickly. And it's going to do so when we realize that the country is, uh, is near broke.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, if Canadians can't afford to make ends meet can't pay their bills you're driving in an underground economy inflation is eating everything that they have and energy prices as well as food prices continue to rise with uh, a generation of young people who can't afford to buy their first home much less the rent that they're paying um, this tra- this train is going to run off the tracks very quickly the fact that hasn't happened up to now is nothing short of you know miraculous. But those things won't last forever. And it, it won't be one of those things where it's a long time coming, as we saw in the 70s and 80s. It's going to happen radically and rapidly. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to use an example, but... The one last week, you know, ten days ago. Who would have thought? Eleven days ago, that we had been to be staring down a banking crisis based on a couple of banks in the United States and uh, one in Europe, Credit Swiss, uh, you know, uh, First Republic. Uh, what, what's the other one? Silver Silvergate and SVP, right? SBT. What would have take? What would it take for the same thing to happen in Canada? Very little. I just don't think that the folks have spent a lot of time poring over the data of the of the sovereign and subsovereign sovereign def- debt in this in this country. And ironically, ironically, <clears throat> were it not for Canada's oil and gas exports being at max, I mean basically trucking them across the US border if we could, we would not be in the fiscal position of saying that the uh, we're going we've dodged a bullet. We'd be we'd be sunk by now, were it mm-hmm. not for the oil and gas sector. So you know again that Roddy Danger field, I get no respect this industry, this resource sector, which is the, you know, really the vanguard of our prosperity has been kicked so hard in the teeth. I'm surprised it can even open its mouth to ask for more because that's what's exactly what's happening. And it's time for wokesters in my neck of the woods here in Toronto and the Maritimes and other grifters to finally come clean because I do it all the time. I ask them, how are you funded? Who's funding you? Uh, you know, what are you waiting for another Serb check? Because that's how you're buying people off. You can't continue to buy people off when there's no money.
1: Amen.
0: Hallelujah. Well, I'll tell you, you know, I always wonder at what, and we've talked about it uh, on, on some of these episodes here before, Stu. Uh, Dan, we've said, and, and I'd like to hear your 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 opinion on this, and maybe a prediction as well. So two-part. But at what point is it unrescuable, the, the condition what? that we are in? <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, I think we're there now. I don't think it's on, I mean, is it too, it will be very hard to reverse course. There's really only one, if I had to break it down, party, there's only one party that speaks the language of my Liberal Party of the 1990s and 2000s. That's the Conservative Party under Pierre Polyev. Let me repeat Mm -hmm. that. There is no party right now that emulates what the federal Liberals did under my watch, under my time, other than the today's apparent current crop of Pierre Polyev Conservatives. So, if you're comfortable with the way the Liberals performed in the 1990s and early 2000s, you have no choice but to vote Conservative, because the Bloc, Green, NDP, and Liberals are committed to reckless spending and at the same time embarking on a policy that almost guarantees the diminution of the uh, of the uh, the Canadian dream, mm-hmm. destroying prosperity, destroying the very thing that keeps our you know the wolves away from the door. Uh, we need to ensure that we understand that those parties are irresponsible. And any, my biggest concern was my good friend Aaron O'Toole's father was my provincial counterpart when I was a federal MB. But Aaron O'Toole's trying to be liberal light, and look what happened—he became irrelevant to the people in this part of the world, and of course was prepared to sacrifice five10 percent of the votes in your neck of the woods. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It didn't work out well for the Conservatives, so I think they have to stick to where, stick to their guns, and realize there's still a lot of very viable, strong centre-of-the-road Liberals. Okay. Remember, the spectrum shifted hard to the left. Yeah, Some of us are staying as constant as the Northern Star, and we're not going to change. And it's those people who realise the thing has just gotten really bad, and it's time to get back to reality. I hope to God, Mr. Polyev does not change, vacillate, or equivocate. If he does that, he'll win a minority government and do what uh, Stephen Harper did, just bide his time rope-a-dope it until finally the other opposition parties uh kill each other off and uh he winds up with the majority but we do and it's going to take years to undo the damage the trudeau woke i don't even call them liberals uh the woke cultists did to this country and the damage uh that was very predictable when they did the exact same thing in ontario when uh, uh, dalton mcginty kathleen Wynn, gerald butts and katie telford were running the show here Mm-hmm. And we're obviously running out of town. The Liberals don't have now for the second election, not been able to form party status.
0: Well, we agree, I, we, we've we talked uh, previously with David Yager on this a few episodes ago. And, uh, you know, we talked about, uh, and th- this is where we get to, I'm going to ask you about a prediction. Because he he felt that, uh, that Pierre Poliev uh, would actually be running uh, against somebody else other than Justin Trudeau. So that was a prediction he made. Uh, can you comment on that? uh up until
2: today i would have said that was wrong but i think uh it's pretty clear that trudeau had a choice the ndp wasn't going to go along with him i think the gig is up let me just also say something very personal uh the government house leader was my assistant i brought him under my wings His name is mark holland Uh, Omar Al-Gabra is another one. I helped get these folks elected. They were nice young guys. They, you know, you wanted them as backbenchers. You didn't want them running the show, but the show they are running. And I think it's pretty clear that Trudeau has realized that uh, he couldn't play this game of uh, hiding Katie Telford. He will not be able to play the game of preventing a full, full full-blown public inquiry into his government's involvement and the benefits a number of his members received by direct relationship with the Chinese Communist Party. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think that up until yesterday or today, if, if, if the NDP had buckled and said, all right, we're voting with the government, then I would have said, yeah, he, he's there till 2025. Maybe Jaeger is a little bit more prescient than I am. Uh, I think the days for Justin Trudeau are numbered, but I don't just think it stops there. There's no one who can redeem what uh, his cult has done. Mm-hmm. Not Mark Carney, Whose reputation is in is in shambles in Britain, uh, not Christia Freeland, uh, who really is, frankly, you know, a nobody outside of the sphere of Justin Trudeau. And here's the problem: beyond the name Trudeau, the Liberal Party died in 2011. It never it can it can never come back uh, unless it, uh, unless it had the time to cultivate a new leader. Right. And it didn't do that. It was all about Trudeau and nothing but Trudeau. And now, of course, you're left bereft of any obvious replacement.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, there's no doubt the, the, the entire Trudeau cabinet, clan, everybody involved, it's incredibly low-resolution thinkers, um, got us into this position. We spent the last hour talking about the, the, the situation Canada is in. So I, I truly invite a new mood and uh, some new, new leadership. I think there is only one other alternative, and I think it is only Poliev. I think I said it earlier, we're, you know, we're, we're at the point of... Is it rescuable? And uh, this next election, whenever it uh, may find itself, uh, this is this is the change we need. Stu, what do you think?
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm somewhere between you know optimistic and and suicidal. So <laughs> I, I think um, <laughs> I mean look at you know they gained seats in the 21 election after multiple scandals. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd I'd love to think that the the whole Chinese, uh, you know, interference scandal will topple them. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I. I, like well, I we've said,
0: been like I, I said, we've the, been. The dis- guy
1: seems impervious. Yeah, to, we, to, we've to, been
0: disappointed so many times by by voting Canadians that uh, y- you know the. Um, I guess our uh, jadedness is uh, is is uh, properly deserved.
1: Uh, no. I, I. Like I said, I'm. Uh, let us err on the side of optimism today. I I, I truly hope that this. You know whether it goes to a full-blown you know sort of review or you know it dies somewhere after the special rapporteur, you know uh, David Johnson says you know we don't need a a full investigation I you know I don't know but I, I for me it doesn't really matter I mean the evidence to stated to date seems pretty clear to me that you know there there was some funny business going on and you know our our federal government you know you know turned turned a blind eye to it so. Um, was helping them well yeah may, may, maybe didn't turn a blind eye at all maybe, maybe to your point is there, there was an uh, you know a quiet advocacy so I don't know the whole the whole thing i am I'm, I'm hopeful I'm optimistic you know me I'm a glass half full kind of guy um and I you know honestly if I had a choice of him being thrown out or you know resigning and saying he, you know he's gonna spend more time with his family i'd I'd rather see him thrown out you mm-hmm. know just for legacy and and, and giggles but I don't know, man. Well, uh, I'm 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 hopeful, but we'll keep doing our thing, Des. You know, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we we got to keep telling our story and and keep doing our part. You know, for for the folks that that listen to us or or forward on our our podcast. I think it's important, and I think uh, sessions like today with with uh, Dan McTeague are exactly the kind of thing we need to keep doing to inform Canadians. You know how this affects them, and ultimately their 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 pocketbook mm-hmm.
0: well like i said there's one taxpayer and they're coming at us from every bloody angle dan you, tell us tell us a good story about taxation <laughs> <laughs> oh
2: I, <laughs> I i have a feeling that uh, i'm probably going to be very bored when justin trudeau and his gang are gone um, i might actually pursue uh gainful retirement who knows <laughs> um But I think the work, uh, to build on what this country should be has to continue. And if nothing else, I think the events of the past couple of years, inflation, high interest rates, a war in uh, Ukraine, uh, and, uh, a looming shortage, uh, or a constraint in supply of energy, particularly oil and gas, but oil in particular, uh, is going to put Canada right back into the driver's seat, um, I just hope to goodness it isn't the guys who are committed to driving it over a cliff, as we've seen for the past, well, seven and a half years now.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the always the frustrating, you know, the the, the position of, of uh, you know, a Trudeau government, what have you, is that pushing so hard to kneecap this industry when really there's no alternatives to these, to these hydrocarbons. You know, I know we, we, we can talk about uh, nuclear and what have you, but, you know, there's a, energy and electricity are, are, are not exactly the same thing. And, and people need to understand this. But there's just no alternatives to, to many of the hydrocarbons and how they're u- used and utilized. We're running to a room that is empty. We're running very fast around this, this climate change uh, type policy. Everything is seen through a climate change lens. It, it's, it's just not really well thought of. And it, like you explained earlier, the situation that Germany has put themselves or, or you know, um, even the UK, oh. entirely the European situation is, is, uh, is, is in a poor security position as, as, as it relates to energy.
2: People aren't going to be afraid anymore. They've had enough of fear mongering by the IPCC, IP, the International Panel on Climate Change. Uh, I think people have had enough of this scaremongering. as we saw yesterday. Once again, these folks have nothing better to do but come out with worst case scenarios that are based on modeling. And we shouldn't be basing public policy on this either. It's pretty dangerous to go up with assumptions of a bunch of fanatics who have an agenda and for which they cannot find any other solution than the one that makes no sense. They're not folks that are well-balanced. And at the end of the day, some of them even pr- approve, uh, approve the idea that we should reduce world population as a means of controlling the, the weather. This is insane. But you know what? China laughs at us. Putin's laughing at us there's a lot of countries around the world saying hey guys no problem you want to go destroy yourselves you want to pretend you can beat us on EVs we've got a 10 year advantage on you you think you can make your solar panels and you can make your windmills all without uh, fossil fuels good luck with that because while you're choking yourselves to death and basically selling yourself enough rope to hang yourselves we're kind of run the show and we're running your country and now there's a threat we're running your elections Mm -hmm. well there you go
0: well put. I want to get to a um, a bit of a conclusion here, Dan. I mean, we talked uh, real heavy about the uh, about the the energy situation we're in and we're in globally. Your thoughts on this whole? Uh, we touched on it, but this this Chinese foreign political infer- interference is. Uh, I know, and I know, I know you've talked about uh, what this means and the control, and you know, Canada is. Uh, possibly a, a Chinese vassal. Tell our mm-hmm. listeners, you know, how significant this is.
2: I think it's extraordinarily significant when you consider several ridings in Toronto and now obviously in Vancouver, uh, we're subject to undue influence, outside influence. And while some people may say, oh, wasn't that all that bad, the reality is up until this exploded with the Globe and Mail and Global TV <clears throat> running this, you would never have had the same people making any exclamation whatsoever. So, yeah, once it's discovered, it's not as bad as you thought. And yet, you know, I give Richard Fadden full marks in 2011, 2010, when I was still an MP, came out and said, the number of members of parliament and uh, public officials across this country who are under the influence of the Chinese government and whose ideas mesh with the Chinese government. And may, some of them are unwitting. Some of them are, you know, uh, you know uh, useful idiots, dupes. But a heck of a lot of them know exactly what they're doing. And by the way, let me be really clear on this point. It's not just Chinese interference. The Iranian government has friends in Ottawa who are members of parliament representing writings right here in Toronto. And they've been able to exercise some influence, not necessarily on the policy front, but getting their man elected. Mm-hmm. So this is really a problem of a diaspora politics in which the idea, the concept of Canada becomes secondary to the interests of the problems back home worse. Though we know China has an agenda, and it's fine that it's finally getting you know the uh, the attention it deserves. But there's still an awful lot of apologists and dieharders and the liberals among the cultists who refuse to believe. And yet, it has embarrassed our relationship with other nations: Australia, Britain, the United States, New Zealand to a lesser extent.
3: Mm-hmm
2: think of us as a bad smell you don't want to go very close to us well, because we don't want to we don't want to play ball uh with them we would rather be all things to all people and that's not to say Pierre that trudeau didn't do the same thing with china way back when but there were nowhere near the threat nor the ambition that we see them displaying today under xi right. uh, xi jinping
0: and you you bring a, a point uh you know our, our our lack of inclusion here lately with the five eyes
2: there you go. Right. Or Auckland the other day, you, right. you know, the Auckland uh, submarine program. I mean, look, this is serious stuff. Uh, you know, and who do you have running the show at the Department of Defense yesterday? According to Anita Anand, the defense minister is my member of parliament here in Oakville. It's the 30 million bucks we've given uh, McKinsey and company, the same guys that right. say we should have 450,000 people coming to this country every year. Look, who's calling shots in this country? You know, as a Dominic Barton and his friends over in China, we had a ambassador who, I mean, has got his nose surgically attached to the posterior of the Chinese Communist Party. And he's not going to like that. But I mean, how else can you conclude that Canada has become a vassal state in some respects of the Chinese government? And it has happened because we have a prime minister even said and admitted publicly. <laughs> you know, I, I do have some admiration for basic Chinese dictatorship. This is your woke prime minister. I hope the women 55 and older have been listening to that because yeah. I can tell you what my grandmother said before I was dead, before I, before I was born and she passed. In 1953, she asked my uncles and my aunts, a big family, McTagg family in Peterborough, be very careful of the ambitions of China. Because its ambitions, I think, are not uh, necessarily aligned with uh, freedom and democracy uh, and religious, among other things, freedoms that we enjoy, we take for granted in this country. We have to be very careful not to be closed-minded and allow digital assets to be used in a way, whether it's Huawei, whether it's the imprisonment of uh, the two Michaels, uh, or whether it's now interference in elections. We have to put up major red flags to this country and recognize the federal liberals under Justin Trudeau were quite willing to play footsie with them.
0: Mm-hmm. It's dirtier than Uncle Derek's browser history. You know that. <laughs> well, Justin Trudeau lied. In 2022,
2: he said he'd never been brief, never knew about it. And then 2023, he admitted he did. Now he's saying it's a bad thing. If that is the prime minister of your country willing to lie on record, you have a far more serious problem on your hands, folks. We sure and, do. Uh, from a foreign affairs point of view. And yes, I do have the so – let, let the folks out there who, you know, oh, we don't like Dan. He's always talking against the Liberals. I got my pc designation in foreign affairs so i know a few little things over there i know the games that are being played and uh it does concern me that uh, canadians are willing to be oblivious and ignorant perhaps it's where they some of them may have originally three or four generations ago had relatives and family it's not the way we do things here in canada we're open, we're democratic, and we stand up to autocratic people. I went to China and Beijing and told the to release Hussein Jalil in 2007. The Chinese didn't like that, but I went anyways and respectfully pushed my position. I wasn't going to sit back and do what John McCallum did and back, you know back off and uh, basically you know show them the keys to the kingdom. John was my colleague in the House of Commons. Hell, I almost had his riding the, in 1993. Kretzian gave me a choice between the one I had in Pickering or Markham. That's water under the bridge. The reality is that we have some people— uh, who have been, you know, uh, used uh, to uh, to advance Chinese interests. And that should not be allowed in a free democratic country who appears to have subverted its democratic institutions to a nation that has an ambition to take over the world.
1: Horrifying. That's what that is. Yeah, well, well said, Dan.
0: I mean, uh, yeah, this is, uh, I don't think people understand the gravity of of this. Uh, hopefully it develops the, the story a little more so people can really uh, bite down on how serious this is.
1: Yeah, you know that one. One of the sad elements of this, though, Des, you, I, and and now Dan, you know, the the same woke people that we keep talking about will brand us as as racist and extreme for saying this, when in fact all we're doing is quoting fact and and telling our story and the story of what actually happens. But but we will be branded as racist for this. No. Who, who, But
2: sorry, gentlemen, who would do that? Who would do such a stupid, asinine thing? I can tell you right now, they'd be seen as highly ignorant themselves racist for making those kind of comments and it and would have, I mean, every person I know on Twitter coming after them for being, you know, virtue signalers. This is the big problem with people who like to label folks by not taking into consideration who they are. I had this happen uh, two years ago with Black Lives Matter until they realized my first son, who's adopted, is the direct descendant of Mary Shad, who led the Underground Railway in Ontario. I'll tell you, they backed off pretty goddamn quickly when I said that. And I, I say that with absolute conviction because I'm getting sick and tired of people who are playing these little little mind games because they haven't got the intelligence to put up a strong debate.
1: Here, mm-hmm. here. Well, one of those, Dan, is, is you know, our own, uh, you know, Prime Minister, when this first f- story first broke, I mean, he 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 aired that balloon, right? Well, let's look at this Prime Minister, blackface Prime Minister,
2: uh, a guy who's got issues with obviously uh, in the past with uh, with women, the kokani uh, you know, uh, uh, what do they call the kokani grabber, whatever the heck they called him. <laughs> look, if you're going to live by that kind of uh, eth- ethos, you better be have your nose clean because otherwise you're gonna get knocked off. And every one of us knows in this group and across this country, we call people like that hypocrites. And it doesn't matter what kind of turd polishing they want to engage in, at the end of the day, they have no one to point fingers to except their own sorry selves. And I'd be the first one to do it to him. I have no difficulty telling that to Justin True. He knows where I stand because I know some of the phonies that work with him. And I know how, how much of, an indivi- of, of a crass individual, puerile individual he is. And I know that personally. I can tell you the 30 million Canadians who don't, but I've experienced it. I've seen him. And I have no trepidation with saying that to his face if he had the guts to ever do it. But that's why guys like me are not in his caucus, nor would we ever be.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well... Our listeners have heard it
1: first here. Absolutely, thanks for that, Dan. <laughs> well, Dan, this is. I hope uh, it worked out.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, this this was a a, a great uh, time we've had with you here. I think uh, this is probably a good time to uh, shut down this this part of the uh, the the interview. And we'll, you know, we we do this quite a bit. We get to a point where you know we spend a an hour hour and fifteen minutes with people. And we there's so much we would like to still touch on. Dan, would you come back to us and, and come on another episode?
2: Most certainly. I'm sure we're gonna have a lot more to talk about, not Ye- just building on what we did today. Yeah. I gotta tell you, being here on Pragmatics, uh, the podcast was a lot of fun and uh, it's good to let my hair down. It's also good to be 60 and have this kind of experience and not be afraid <laughs> of having to say what needs to be said.
1: Yeah, it was great, Dan. And the fact that you were, you know, uncensored, unbridled and, and had some fun um, is great. I mean, our, our, our listener group is, or listenership, I guess, is yeah. uh, is growing. And I think, um, today's discussion is exactly, as I said earlier, the kind of discussion that we want to encourage, uh, in an effort to educate, you know, Canadians. Totally. Yeah. And, and, you know, the listenership, it it's
0: growing. It's not only our wives, but it's a couple of our girlfriends too, that are, have been listening lately. So. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell my wife, please. <laughs> Uh, we like we like to. Uh, awesome. Thirty fun. years happily married. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, Dan, thanks for a great uh, a great session today. Uh, we're going to get you back to the Crystal Gondola here, high above the uh, the Wilden Range. Uh, hopefully Absolutely. after a few, cause you know, like I said earlier, there's a, there's a goblin around every corner politically and, uh, in, you know, in the, in the markets and what have you, uh, always content to talk about, but maybe the next time we, we get you on Dan, we'll be somewhere after, uh, you know, some of this, uh, uh, testimony that we're going to hear on this, uh, this yep. po- political interference, which will be, uh, will, will be interesting. Dan, thanks very well, much. We'll say goodbye fireworks. to fireworks.
2: Thanks, Des. Thanks, oh. Stu. Thanks, that Dan. Was great, great
0: having Take you your on. Eyes. Cheers. Well, Stu, that was a
1: uh, D- Dan sure is a firecracker. Hey, awesome, yeah, awesome guest. I'm, I'm hoping our listeners agree. We, uh, we got into some, uh, some great topics. Some, you know, choppy water, not for us, of course, but I think for our listeners, there's going to be some, some provocative and compelling topics there. Yeah, obviously, with the
0: being an MP for the 18 years he was across the, you know, the eras that that 18 year span took, I, I think, uh, his, his insight, his, uh, experience in the whole thing. And, and of course, uh, you know, like, like he said, he's, he's 60 now. And, 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 you can look back on, on the, uh, what's happening in this world we're in, uh, on a, on the federal government side. Uh, and of course being, a liberal at, uh, at, at one time in, in office and, and being able to, at a, at a very near distance, comment on the liberals that are in office now and, and how incredibly different they are from the era that uh, that Dan performed in, you know, under Crutchen and, and Paul Martin.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, look, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to having him back for, for two reasons. One, I think he was a, a wonderful, very engaged and, and informative guest. Mm-hmm. And two, um, I want to see how he does on his predictions as it relates to you know Pierre Polyev and and uh, the next election. Yeah. So for those two reasons, I can't wait to have him back. Yeah, you bet. Hey, Stu, uh, we talked
0: a little bit, you know, uh, about Thomas Sowell, you know, the great, uh, well known, yes, yeah, well known uh, economist uh, in the U.S. I love his quotes. I love his, uh, well, you know, he's just said a lot of things over, over the decades that he's been uh, active and, you know, many people have taken some of the things that he said and made them into sort of standalone quotes. But, you know, in in, in the spirit of our, our talk today with Dan about uh, about the conditions that this federal government has set, specifically... You know with taxation and just programs after programs and and the sort of entitled we have many people walking amongst amongst us that are very entitled and think they need uh, they need a piece of uh, of everything through uh, through through government. Uh, a Thomas Soul quote was, he asked the question, "What is your fair share of what someone else has worked for?"
1: <laughs> we get a lot of Canadians asking themselves that, I think.
0: <laughs> anyway, that's a beautiful quote from Thomas Sowell. I think in in other uh, other episodes, we'll we'll yank out some uh, relevant quotes from from Thomas Sowell
1: because they uh, some of them need to be heard. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And for those of you who don't know who Thomas Sowell is, we certainly encourage you to Google him, have a read. I think you'd be um, again for those who don't know who he is. I think you'd be interested to see who he is for one thing, and and his views. Um, yes. And you know, we, a good spot to go,
0: and I'm glad you brought this up. A good spot to go see him uh, speak uh, on on certain issues, and and obviously, it's visual. Is he's on YouTube. He's, uh, there's people that have got uh, many of his interviews on on, uh, on YouTube. So very accessible. Thomas Sowell Put it in the YouTube search, and and uh, a lot will come up. And he has a very very interesting outlook on many things that are very very you know, in the news today, absolutely. Uh, certainly societal and, uh, and so forth. I'll yeah, leave it
1: at that. Absolutely. Great, man. Well, hey, we're always up for a, a, a Thomas Sowell quote. And, and again, we encourage people to go, um, you know, have, have a look. Have a look. You bet. All right, man.
0: Um, like every episode, we like to feature a bottle of wine. Stu, um, you, you made a nice selection here. Well, uh, what you can is. you tell about this?
1: Tell us about. Well, it. Y- you know what we're doing today um, on taping day, March 21st, the first full day of spring. So, um, again, in the spirit of optimism, Des, I, I, I brought out a, a 2021 rosé. Uh, again, in, in, you know, in the spirit of spring, mm-hmm. uh, from one of our favorites, which is uh, the Black Hills Winery. Yeah, which is which is a stunning winery, and I, I know
0: it's a rosé, and I don't want anybody out there to uh, question our, our manhood or anything. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's that serious. But, like I'm not going to change my pronouns over this, but uh, but
1: it is it is described as a serious rosé, a serious rosé. So we're we're not you know we're not messing around here, Des. We're getting a uh, an elegant but serious rosé. Okay, well let's let's take it let's take a draw on this. All right, man. Well, here, cheers. Uh, hey, uh, happy spring, and let, let's make a toast to 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 the runster.
0: Yes. Uh thank you for that. Our our young lad is uh has left us and we're gonna cheers uh to the young
1: Rooney. Well look cheers, man buddy. he's at the doggy resort up there so he's probably having some fun. Yeah. Cheers man. Happy spring. Cheers to Rooney. Here's to Rooney. Well it is elegant but serious. It is.
0: No it's it's a it's 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 serious. It's got uh
1: it's got body. Buddy that's opened up a bit from the first bottle we drank ten minutes ago. <laughs>
0: Yeah, oh, that's, that's that's nice. And, of course, you know, one thing uh, about a rose, and you've got this at the right temperature for, you know, spring and summer. I, I like sitting on a deck. If you're going to drink a rose, nice, sunny, hot day, on the deck, rose at uh, a very, very cold temperature uh, hits the spot. And this this is nice. This is
1: yeah, nice. I totally agree. And, look, um, you know, the, 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 the manhood piece aside, look, we've all been – pounding the rosés for the last couple of years. And, and, and look, folks, you you can go into the, into any liquor store and pick up a rosé for, you know, 15 bucks and, and, and throw it down. And, and it, it is worth what you pay. This costs a little bit more. Um, but the folks at Black Hills make a, a great wine, Des, you and I are both big fans of Noto Bene. I think you introduced that to me many years ago. Um, I think you said the Syrah is a tasty one at, at Black. Hills. They have a nice
0: Syrah. I mean, Black Hills is a is a is a top tier uh, winery here in 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 the Okanagan, um, quality player. But yeah, the Nota Bene. I think yeah, I got uh, turned on to it uh, uh, six eight years ago. I it still is one of the top, certainly top three. It's a blend. It's a Bordeaux style blend. So, but it's a it's 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 a big uh, it's a big mouth. I'd encourage anybody. To uh, to take down a note to bene from from Black Hills, it is just a uh, stunning, stunning deep, yeah, tasty Dorado Yeah,
1: very very good. So so we we awesome talked mate. a little
0: bit about uh, about the Oilers. So let's just have a quick word here. So okay. yeah, fair uh, you know you know uh, the trades that were made. And d- did you watch the game the other night? With I, I, I did. I watched the okay. game last night. The uh, last is night, that yeah. the one you're talking
1: about? The um, well, our uh, five four overtime against San Jose. Yeah uh Ekholm.
3: yes that's uh, I who mean, i want to talk uh, it's
1: about stud uh, i mean honestly great great acquisition at the right time yeah uh hey and i don't i, I don't want to miss um you know the game save was not necessarily by campbell last night it was cody right. cc pulling that puck off the line yes no uh, i mean honestly he's uh, i'm starting to really dig him as a defenseman um stay at home defenseman if you know if if i can if i can say that um you lay a good hit too yeah yeah no man they're coming together and and to my brother who uh you know Jimbo you and i go back and forth a lot you think i'm a a part-time fan i i, I like to just think i'm a i'm a high expectation fan <laughs> you know i i i think you're guilty a little bit of that sometimes hey come on stu well i'm i'm I just have high expectations i have no time for under-potentiation. i don't even know if that's a word but We'll go with it. Could be the rosé talking,
0: <laughs> but I I do like the timing of their play. Their play is it's coming at the right time of the season, right? Yeah, it's they dug like themselves. Last year. They dug themselves out of a out of a. Uh, they were behind last night, and they dug themselves out and found a win at a time when you know every two points
1: is uh, is very important at this stage. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I I like. I like the character I'm seeing. Look, and and the fact that you know Kane's back and playing as strong mm. as he is, kind of reminds. A ha- me. Scored a hat trick in front of his parents the other. Yeah, night. not bad. Hey, not good bad. Him, I mean, it reminds him. me of last spring when you know again he was, um, you know, he was a big big part of that that success that run all the way to the Avalanche. Um, and uh, no, I like what I'm seeing, man. I'm I'm feeling good again. You know, James, withhold your your hate emails. Um, you know. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, another thing we—is uh, there anything
0: else that we need to to cover here, Stu, before we get uh, get no, to packing
1: things up? No, look, man, it's spring. It's thirteen degrees out there yeah. with a the blue sky. I think the um, blue sky. You know, Dan uh, was, as you and I both agree, is uh, a wonderful guest who we can't wait to have back. I think it's time to wrap it up with some uh, some muzak. Yeah, and and um,
0: I'm I'm glad you agreed to uh, to, to feature this tune because uh, I remember when it came out. Uh, I believe 1983, the Tubes. She's a beauty. Just a great musical tune. It was a big hit
1: back in those days. It was played a lot on the radio. Yeah, man. Radio. Um, hey, eh? radio. Radio. Yeah, and 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 um, you know that was pre-satellite radio for for our listeners, right? You actually had to turn the dial. <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll
0: leave you with uh, the Tubes. She's a beauty. A little bit, uh, you know, the the lyrics. They're it's, it's about a uh, it's about a, a hooker you know that eh i thought it was a love
1: song it was well, a i guess song. you can love a hooker <laughs> <laughs> we, should, we should qualify this and and you know to 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 the many hookers that listen to the pragmatics that that wasn't a an insult or an indictment we or at least des is a big fan <laughs> well we got to treat all our our fans with uh, Dignity and respect, buddy. Dignity and respect. No, this is equal hey, uh, admira- admiration. Absolutely, uh, great tune, wonderful melody. Um, I think it'll be instantly recognizable to our to our listeners.
0: All right, folks. Thanks for listening to episode number seven, double oh seven. Man, was this seven, buddy, yeah, or eight? Yeah. No. Oh no, I think it's I think it's seven, isn't it? Did I miss one? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. anyway. Uh, Thanks for listening, and this is The Tube. She's a beauty.